Welcome to Cock Breath, the only podcast with cum on its face. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering Season 1, Episode 6 of House of Cards. You said before we started this that, that I need a towel. I need to wipe down. No, no. We know the towels solve nothing. Uh, that you thought this was a very dense episode. I did. It seems like there's a lot of things going on uh, uh, to a lot of characters. Um, it's like a combination. It's like a combination scheming, fallout, and setup at all okay. different yeah. at, in all different stages. Yeah, the strike pretty much plays itself out at the end of this one, right? It seems like it, yeah. I mean, the, the threat to me at the end was, hey, either stop this strike or else. It's it's also, this was one of the ones that it's... I, one of the things I hate most about American politics is the gotcha nature. Like, the fact that we pass policy not on whether it makes logical sense, but on whether some kid happened to get shot in a drive-by or whether some or dude whether lost somebody his- crashes into a peach water tower or someone lost his cool and punched somebody in the midst of fight i mean yeah the whole reason i I, that's what it's just interesting because if you hate frank we as the american people enable him with our reactionary bullshit emotional bullshit yeah well it also makes a good example of the media in this episode how they take that and they just run with it yeah um they they take the canned uh, phrases that the politicians come up with and they make a big deal about it. Disorganized labor. Yeah. Like, like, why does that make a difference in this argument at all? Certainly. And the media, for sure, is is also one of the things that fails the country. But, uh, but anyway, that was just my yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, macro observation of the episode. Uh, and it's also, I thought it was really interesting. I'm not sure if it... I'm, I'm not sure if this is a conscious choice uh, or this or, or bad writing. It could either be bad writing or intentionally bad writing. But the whole first scene where him and Vasquez are going back and forth, they do nothing but trade cliches. <laughs> okay, you know, it's like we got a fish and cut bait. Well, we've already crossed Rubicon. Well, you can. I mean, they just continued to trade cliches uh, one after another and i it seems like that might have been on purpose like I a stylistic choice the fact yeah, that yeah. they are just it's 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 content free uh-huh yeah and they're kind of just talking past each other yeah at a yeah, yeah. Point. uh yeah that's that's pretty cool um i should we start in on the big the main meat of the episode with frank uh well we labor on a strike. timeline note we know it's about a month after the last episode yes we do because uh, the stri- the teacher strike's been going on for uh, a month and the president's approval rating is plummeting uh but also people aren't happy the teachers union and it's basically mm-hmm. who's going to blink first is going to win a total victory as frank says and that's what he needs yeah at this point yeah that's he, the only thing that saves he his cannot ass. compromise because no. anything less than a total victory is going to set him back to where he was at the beginning of the series. Now, does that extra month put us past the 100-day timeline? I do believe so. Okay. And that's so. why the president is so concerned about this, because he failed his promise uh, that he made when he was inaugurated. Well, I think that now, because... Um, I think what's going on now is that the bill is more or less ready to be passed, uh-huh. but the teachers' unions are protesting and striking about it. So... I think that Frank kind of did his job there, but now they're dealing with the fallout. And honestly, okay. 
you know, at the end of I, that's a good question whether we are at the end of a hun- the hundred days. I, I feel no like it idea. has to be because we calculated up about 120 since the beginning of the show, right. last episode. And then if we're talking another month, because right. we know the Russo has gotten sober over the last month, yeah, uh, that puts us past it, in my opinion. Yeah, well, we'll see, because I'm pretty sure when this all gets said and done that they'll make the, you know, we'll get a better... Uh, it, yeah. it just depends how many months elapsed between the la- the, the, the first of the last episode um, and the episode before. And we weren't sure. We were trying... The only thing we had to gauge on is Vasquez's statement that the hundred days is almost over. Yeah, yeah. So you'd think if they'd if they'd finished and been over that they would have made a bigger deal out of it, but but who knows? Yeah, maybe they will next episode. Um, so this whole thing is over the the collective bargaining rights that Frank threw back into the bill in order to get his charter school policies uh, passed through, like to compromise. Okay, well we'll give you the collective bargaining, but we want this in exchange. Well, that they want the performance testing, which and, teachers and the performance are, are loath yeah. to. To, they hate standardized tests. And so the, the president is like, hey, this is a big fiasco. Gut this bill. Mm-hmm. And Frank just flat out says no, which I thought, I mean, he's right. It takes huge balls to say no to the most powerful man in the world. Especially since the president can't force him. Yeah. The president yeah. is the executive. He's legislator. So he's perfectly in his right to say no. And uh-huh. the president looks at him like, okay, if this blows up in your face, he's already said it's on you. Yeah, but there's going to be some kind of some kind of executive vengeance wreaked upon him if if he fucks this up. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm wondering. So the timeline here is a little weird to me. I would think that after the president put pressure on Frank, that he would go to like resort to the brick strategy. Uh huh. Um, but it actually, you said it happens before that. Yeah, because it's just him and well, I mean him. So and he Bat- sees all the news on the TV and he's like, I need to speed this up. I need to get this over with. And I think that this is the way Frank works. Like, um, you know, it's not like he was just sitting there with his dick in his hand before the president got get urgent. He's he knows what the time clock is. Yeah, is set point. to and what it's counting down to. So, the fact I think it's kind of interesting that he would go to Brick, and it also when you f- figure out that 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 uh, Stamper is the one that did it. Uh huh. Um, Ed Meacham f- loosen off around. It, it takes a whole other spin on this. Sure, yeah. <laughs> he, he could have killed uh, Stamper, and what would that have done? Yeah, that that was not part of the plan. No, yeah. For him to run outside and start dry firing, or just firing into the neighborhood. But even then, Frank takes that and turns it into a weakness, or uh, that, that potential setback into a strength, mm-hmm. because now he's got absolute personal loyalty from his bodyguard now yeah definitely you know the only thing that doesn't quite hang together for me uh was the fact that there was no conversation between frank and stamper about holy shit that was crazy you almost got shot man (laughs) sure yeah i i just assume those things aren't shown like they yeah, probably that, had that conversation. To me, that feels a little bit like cheating. Like, if you're going to drop yeah. a fact in the last 10 minutes that completely recontextualizes everything that happens in the episode, um, it's kind of like, um, I think the perfect example is The Sixth Sense. Like, when you find out that Bruce Willis is the ghost. Then they do the flashbacks. They do the flashbacks, and you see that every one of those things is was consistent with the idea of him being dead and not being there the whole time. Yeah, him and Stamper just trading back and forth. You know, like the literally the next day in his office, he's just you know they're just bouncing off ideas or names like we do the, the podcast each each time. 
You know, it's like, uh-huh. oh, uh, you just got shot, Jim. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, I, I uh, whatever. I was thinking about we should call this podcast Cock Breath this time. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. Yeah. No, I, maybe not. They just chose eh, not to show it. Unless Stamper is a sophisticated android sent from the future. He kind of looks like he might be. He's yeah. a Time Lord or something. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. So look for that in future episodes. Yeah. Uh, so I really like the stuff that they did with uh, Marty and Frank this episode because I feel like these guys are two adversaries who are worthy of each other. Um, yeah. Spinella doesn't take any of Frank's crap until, like, the very end where he basically has to because he gets so angry that he punches him. Uh, but this interview thing where he just... Frank totally falls apart in it. We've seen him do that and and be so happy when it happens to other people. Yeah. So I kind of like it happening to him. We see that he's not Did you? perfect. Yeah, I, I know you had problems with this if for other reasons. But I, I just like it that it shows that he is not always so perfect in his sure. plans. Even he can have a bad day, have a lot of pressure coming down on him from the president and the timeline uh, and the strike, and just fuck up. Yeah, I just yeah. My biggest problem. I actually like the interview and seeing him stumble, but I think the real the stumble was him and his improvisation was to bring his wife and and shine a spotlight on her as the victim. Yeah, which she didn't like, especially in light of the conversation that she has with Steve later on, which we'll get to. But also, um, you know, Marty was able to spin it right around and say how you know it's like look it's it's disgusting that you're using your wife in a situation to score political points and yeah. that I think again this shows big weaknesses I don't think they trust the audience to get a very subtle political misstep. Um, yeah, I'm, they also so I kind of like the uh, uh, shit. What do they call it? Not dubstep. The, the, the video that they is. make. Yes, autotune. Thank you. That yeah. they made afterward. Because, you know, that type of shit would happen. That's true. When somebody fucks up that bad. And so I think maybe they were trying to write to that. You know? Like, if he just kind of fucked up, nobody would care. I agreed. Um, I, but, again, that feels clunky. If you're like, oh, you know what? We need to get the autotune to news guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and pay homage to that. How do we get there and work backwards from that? No, you're right. You're totally right. They needed to do a little bit more because I just, again, I, I like it best when two smart guys go head to head and the smartest guy wins, not when the smart mm-hmm. guy just, you know, someone throws him to idiot ball for a scene and he just completely yeah. shits yeah, the yeah. bed. It's totally out of character for that. Yeah, just that like the, the previous Secretary of State, you know, we kind of made fun of the fact that he completely was unable to handle the his anti-Semite grenade that was thrown at him. Uh-huh. Well... You know, I don't like it when Frank can't handle uh, his alphabet. The, the repost from, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I, so the other thing that it shows, I guess, is that Frank is kind of an asshole. I mean, Spinella is a very, uh, has a lot of conviction and understands where he's right on the issue and is not willing to compromise on a lot of those things. Uh, Frank, on the other hand, is willing to resort to basically anything and we've seen that like we've seen spinella's end of it when he's talking to his to the people in his uh lobbyist group Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um he he just there's certain things he won't do frank will do anything he will concoct a story about his wife being threatened uh all this stuff and and it really brings it frank into a bad light at the end yeah i feel like morally spinella is so far in the right here and frank is so far in the wrong 
Yeah. And it's like it's it would be it's bad enough to listen to the police scanners day and night hoping for a kid to be oh. killed or seriously injured. Yeah. So that you can then wave that bloody shirt. But then you know, when you go and you have your cat's paw in uh, Zoe, you know, tweet that and spin it for you. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, a kid gets shot, uh, 100 characters left, should have been in school, 68 <laughs> characters left, uh, Marty to blame, still got 12, yeah. go Zoe. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole other low. And then when you find out that he, you know, th- this this brick incident was entirely manufactured, mm-hmm. it's pretty dark. Pretty dark episode. For sure. Uh, do you have anything more to say about that, or should we move on to another character? Um, do, how? What did you think about Marty uh, being goaded into punching Frank? Does that seem realistic for a guy playing at that high a level to... Um, you know, like multiple so, times he yeah. should have just left the room and he was going to. And I feel like sure, it was sure. only by the power of the writers that he stayed and then ended up punching Frank. Little little I, Boston legal for me. Maybe a little bit. Um, I, I do feel like they've built Marty up to be this very passionate character. Um, and, I mean, then he says, you know, you're... He did destroy his staffer's cell phone in a fit of pique, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was but my that was iPhone. My, uh, uh, Can I get that re... Oh, no. Don't worry. There are plenty more iPhones on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I get 18 more months until I get a phone. <laughs> uh, but I, he's very passionate about what he believes in, and he was backed literally into a corner there, right up against the door uh, with Kevin Spacey in his face. Um. I, I don't feel like it's totally out of character. He said he's like a nobody from the wrong side of the tracks or whatever. Uh, and he's just kind of made his way up through the ranks of the, the unions. Well, and he's the Ma- guy, classic money over power guy. Yeah, you know, lobby, yeah. I, yeah, lobbyist. I think maybe that's not totally out of character for him. Mm, mm. Especially when, like I said, backed into a corner. Yeah, I, again, it just, maybe we'll have to wait till season two to see a true equal foe to, to Frank. Yeah, because, you don't want to blow that in the first season, yeah, right? Yeah, because right now it just feels like uh, the ones that he's been able to beat, it hasn't been, you know, he's been able to pretty handily outmaneuver them. Yeah, definitely. All right, how about Claire? Uh, uh, before we move to Claire, because Zoe is such a small part of this episode, okay. literally she is there to tweet, and yep. she sends him a message at the end, which he snubs for the first time. Yeah. Uh, doesn't even respond to her. Uh, do you think... Is this kind of like the turning of their relationship? Hmm. Do you think she'll start questioning what she's getting out of uh, out of this? Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, if he's not returning her calls or even taking her calls, uh, she might start to think twice about it. I mean, the whole she changed her whole career trajectory based on his input, and now he's kind of stone stonewalling her. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, certainly he has a reason. He had a terrible day. Well, actually, no. He had a great day with a terrible ending. <laughs> right. Getting punched in the face. Right. Uh, but, yeah, maybe she will. Okay, so let's move on uh, to... I mean, we can really... We can either go to Claire or we can go to Pete, whichever one you'd like to. All right, let's go to Russo. He's a, he's even a more minor player in this episode than Claire is. Okay. Basically, um, he's spent the last three days... He did not He did not cut across the tracks or, <laughs> no, he didn't. or with the tracks. Uh-uh. Uh, he actually uh, got himself sober. Yes, uh, and he's been sober for a month now, and he's... 
he's told in this episode that he's going to be able to run for, or no, no, sorry, he tells Frank that he's willing to run for the governorship of Pennsylvania. Still and, a lot of arrogance, though, because he's like, you know, AA, yeah. fuck, I don't need meetings, I don't need that shit. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't seem like he's compa- so maybe prepared for a campaign with as much visibility as the governor. Yeah, I, Frank tries to tell him, look, this is the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be almost impossible to stay sober by yourself. So I'll set you up with Stamper, who we find out also had a drinking problem in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say it never really goes away, so maybe he still does. Uh, and he's just been coping with it for 14 years and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's there's a bill that they want to put together for Rousseau for his environmental platform, which I love how this feeds right back. Like everything Frank does feeds right back into Claire's charity, because the project is going to be the the Delaware uh, River watershed project that she's that Claire's going to work on to get clean water to right. kids. Uh, and and Frank just you know feeds that right into his platform. Right, it's, it's brilliant the yeah. way they work that out. They have a lot of synergy. They do, yeah. Uh, and that's about it for Russo this episode. He doesn't do a whole lot more. Uh, and also, speaking of the synergy, we did you talk about Kathy Durant? As I sec- did not, no. So that's the other thing is uh, Frank said, hey, I need you to help with the bill. She goes, well, you know, we're trying to get an international. He's like, yeah, but I need this for Pete. And she's like, oh, well, while we're talking about needs, I've been having some problems with my projects in Africa. Could you get Kathy Durant? to lean on that to help grease huh. the wheels on that. So it's like it's that. this endless cycle of the snake eating its own tail with yeah. his family. Yeah. Um, so that uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. And also we found out that Doug, Doug Stamper, uh, sober 14 years. No, I said this already, man. Oh, you did? You're, All right. You're retreading old ground here. Sorry. Well, <laughs> you know, like most, like like uh, like the Futurama robot he is, he... He uh, used to subsist entirely on alcohol. What what power source has he been operating off of for the last fourteen years? I don't uh, bullets. 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 Like he takes the energy from fired bullets <laughs> and converts it to lifeblood. Yeah, uh, maybe that's why he's so nonplussed. It's not the first time a weapon's been discharged <laughs> yeah. in his direction. And he actually welcomes it. Yeah, <laughs> at least every other week he gets shot out doing Frank's dirty work. <laughs> what are you oh, doing man. there? Digging through that garbage. <laughs> so. Uh, okay, let's talk about Claire. Okay. This is the character who I understood least this episode. I don't get what's going on with the homeless man. This homeless man is building a sprawling shopping cart empire outside the Clean Water Initiative. Mm-hmm. He's building the uh, banged-up shopping cart initiative think tank. <laughs> Has no use for a fiat currency. No, no, he does not. He, just, he, uh, he, he, he has a board of directors entirely consisting of origami animals. Uh, is, is that supposed to mean something? Of, of course. It has to mean something. I just don't know what it means. We, we, we listened to the director's commentary, and this is another celebrity oh, director, Jesus. Joel Schumacher, uh, who has much to answer for his crimes in the Batman franchise, <laughs> uh, directed the last two episodes. And we're like, you know what? Let's see, let's see what he has to say about that. Joel Schumacher is entirely unhelpful. <laughs> there are two types of commentaries. A commentary where you learn something and a Joel Schumacher commentary. <laughs> right. Like, he'll just be in the middle of something and trail off, not finish his sentence. Yeah. And he's just telling us, like, the actor is a good actor. Yeah. Useless information. Thank yeah. you, Joel Schumacher. This guy came in and did me a favor by playing this homeless guy. He's a fantastic actor. I, this guy's pro- IMD page is probably three sentences long. Like, don't give me this shit. Come on now. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, and now I'm probably, he's probably some famous foreign actor. <laughs> and I sound like an uncultured American swine that I am. Probably. Uh, so my, my first thought with this was, does she feel guilty about the work, all the work that she's doing overseas? And there's this dude literally right outside her front door who could use her help and she's not helping or, or what? I like, I literally, I just don't understand it. Or is it somehow supposed to be a, uh, this is a graveyard situation where she has this experience and she feels pity and wants to help this man and he throws it back in her face. And this is analogous to the situation she has with Steve, where Steve has for all these years, Steve is their former bodyguard who we found out he, he was sick, but found out he's got, had pancreatic cancer uh, and he's dying. And he has his deathbed confession that I've always loved you from afar. I've always thought that Frank is an evil man who never properly appreciated in the classic nice guy friend zone bullshit come out of his mouth. <laughs> and she basically threw that back in his face by saying, I don't need that. And I'm not that kind of, you know, I'm not a girl that needs to be taken care of and wants to be coddled and put on a pedestal. Is that supposed yeah. to, you know, that's a very odd thing for her to see the, the, to, to draw a parallel between her, you know, this wealthy white woman, privileged, powerful white woman, and the homeless black guy. But there's a little bit of that there, right? I'm going to be honest. I did not follow that. My rambling. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> what I'm saying is that so every one of the scenes that she meets with this homeless man outside of her office. Yeah. She then goes into either a meeting with Steve or I think on one occasion there's a meeting with Adam thrown in there. Which, by okay. the way, she's still conflicted about how she feels about Adam and uh, is is kind of sort of stringing him along. Um, and initially she takes – she sees this man's plight and, she, and takes pity on him and wants to help, wants mm-hmm. to do something to better his situation. In the very same way that Steve has observed Claire with Frank – Okay. This evil man who who he knows che- he has to know he cheats on her, in and his in the mind. end, neither of them want the help that they're exactly. trying to be given. Exactly. That they don't want the pity and they don't want the the and coddling. That's why she kind of smiles at the end when she gets the origami twenty back? Yeah, I, that, I'm just saying. I mean, like I said, yeah, I, that, I, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm trying to find a connection there myself. Yeah, just misunderstanding what those people actually want. He doesn't want a handout. Yeah, and she, she doesn't want the type of love. Or the type of care that this guy assumed she did. And also somewhat cruelly uh, put Steve in his place by basically offering him to give a, a, a Skylar White-style hand job, Yeah. Which, you know, basically say, well, hey, you know, you wanted me. Um, the, and, you know, without even really knowing me because you're saying all this nonsense that proves that you don't know me. So if you just want, you know, if you just, if you love me as a physical object of lust and here it is yeah and he couldn't he couldn't even accept that and she's like yep yep that's why i'm with frank and not you yeah absolutely which is pretty brutal uh to do to a guy <laughs> dying of cancer but yeah guy had a coming to him sure sure I, he thought he knew her and he didn't yeah so okay i think that covers about all of the characters we saw this episode right uh one wait last Rousseau thing. did try to call his ex-girlfriend. Yes. That... And she sent him the voicemail. Yeah. But seemed pretty uh, pretty on the fence about it. Yeah, she hesitated. She wasn't just like, fuck that guy, back to work. Right, right. So there's more to that story, it would seem. It would. 
If you've enjoyed our show, please help us get our new House of Cards podcast launched in style by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. You can also support us by using our Amazon affiliate link when you shop online. Just go to amazon.ballmove.com and we'll get a tiny cut of Amazon's profits from whatever you buy on that session. Best of all, it costs you nothing. And be sure to tell your friends, family, and coworkers about Bald Move. Check out our website for all our other great television coverage for Game of Thrones, Mad Men, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, and Downton Abbey, and all of our great pop culture casts like Personal Arrogance and The Because Show. Keep up with the latest on Twitter at Bald Move and on Facebook.com slash Bald Move. And don't forget to join us on Valentine's Day weekend starting Saturday, February 14th for our coverage of Season 2 of House of Cards. See you next time.